I will tell you, all I wanted was oatmeal. It was my birthday, after all. And I wanted to have a special birthday breakfast. So that day, as I was in my hotel room in Houston, Texas, where I had gathered, where I had gathered with a bunch of youth pastors from all over the country uh, for a conference, I was excited to get my birthday oatmeal. You see, it was it's September 11th. That's when my birthday is. Which most of the time when I tell people my birthday, they're like, oh, that's too bad. I'm like, it's been great all my life. I don't know. But that day, I remember I just wanted some oatmeal. I was going to treat myself to some oatmeal. I called room service. And as I picked up the phone to room service, instead of getting, hello, how may I help you? I, and I picked up the phone to a screaming lady. Some lady, she's just going off. I can't believe it. Did you see what happened? Oh, my gosh. This is going on. And they're bombing something. And I'm like, oh, she's good. And I said, I just, can I get some oatmeal? She's like, you got to turn on. Have you seen? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I just want oatmeal. She's like, wait, turn on. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And on that September 11th, 2000, when I turned on my television and there, the first tower had already been hit. And as I watched, trying to figure out what was going on, was just a little, second tower gets hit. Can I tell you, at that point, all of us that were gathered together in that hotel for that conference could have cared less about what was going on in that conference. All we cared about was how do we get home? We're in a high-rise hotel. How do we get home? Are we safe? We were concerned. Knowing this and understanding this, the people that were running the conference gathered us together in the ballroom to make sure that we understood what was going on and to talk with us. And as we gathered there in the ballroom, they, they started out with this video clip. And I'm not talking about little video clip. It was a pretty hefty long video clip. It was about 12, 15 minutes long, and it was from the movie Titanic. And as they showed this scene, they showed this scene from a Titanic. The ship is going down. By the way, spoiler alert, it, it hits the, it, if you didn't know, sorry, I didn't mean to ruin that for you. But it, the, the, the scene is going down where the ship is sinking. It's hit this, and people are <coughs> abandoning ship. They're putting people in the lifeboats. They're not filling the lifeboats all the way, but they're putting people in lifeboats, and the lifeboats are going away from the ship as it goes under. As the scene progresses, more and more people now realizing there's not enough lifeboats start jumping off of the boat into the water, trying to find things, hanging out on board, trying to figure out what they do, how they could to survive. And as you know, as that scene goes on, eventually the ship goes down completely. And there's people in the water that are screaming, help, help. And off on in a distance, the lifeboats gather together in this circle for safety and wait. And a discussion ensues, at least in the movie. Let's go back. We need to go back. And one of them says, How can, we got to go back. Do you hear them screaming? We have to go back. That's our men. Those were our children. Let's go. We need to go back. And which she said, no, we can't go back. We can't go back. If we go back, we're going to get sucked under by the, by the, by the, the ship going under. We're going to get overrun by people and it's going to turn over the ship. We, we can't do this. We can't go back. Stop. And they waited and they waited and the noise started dying down. In fact, one of the, um, one of the people that was uh, there, uh, a survivor, Jack B. Thayer, said this. He said, the partly filled lifeboat standing about 100 yards away never came back. Why on earth they never came back is a mystery. How could any human being fail to heed those cries? You see, they were huddled up in this, in this, this, this group and they're waiting, they're waiting and they finally... Someone said, that's it, forget it. They moved people over, they took one boat, and one boat went back. There were 18 lifeboats, only one lifeboat went back. That was lifeboat number 14. And they went back around, and this was the scene. 
There was a scene of dead bodies floating in the water, some frozen already from the icy cold stuff that's going on out there in the water. And they're looking around and they're going through. And you see it, if you've seen the movie, you know, they're almost like pushing bodies to see, are they alive? Are they alive? Are they alive? And they're looking for people that are alive. And for us, especially sitting there that September 11th with everything that we had just witnessed and seen on television, this bothered us. It bothered us that there were these dead bodies in the water that you were showing us and they're prodding around trying to find someone that's alive. It bothered us that only one lifeboat went back. 18 could have, only one went back. And as we sat there that day, there was a guy by the name of, I think it was Mickey Cox, I think was the one that was giving the talk. If you know Nazarene, that name will sound familiar. But Mickey, we came up and he kind of posed the question. And he goes, I could tell in your faces you're bothered by that. You're bothered by the fact that there were all these dead bodies in this movie. I, I could see that you were bothered that there was only one lifeboat that went back. And he said, so this is the question I have for you. Which are you, he said, which are you going to be? Are you going to be like those other lifeboats, those other 17 lifeboats that just huddled up together in safety? Or will you be like lifeboat 14 that goes back to the lost, to the dying, to save them? He said, because we live in a world right now that is lost dying. We are surrounded by people that are crying out, searching for community, searching for identity, searching for hope, searching for anything they possibly can to bring meaning to this life. Will we be a church that circles the lifeboats up and clings to our salvation? Or will we be a church that goes to search to seek for the dead, the dying, the lost, to bring them salvation. Weighed heavy on us as we sat in that ballroom that day. It should weigh on heavy on us today. It weighed heavy on the heart of Paul. You know, as we've been going through this book of Romans, we've been looking at him, and Paul was very, very clear on how he would answer that question. Paul, what are you going to do? My purpose is to go and proclaim the gospel to those who do not know. If you had said, Paul, what are you going to be? He says, I'm 14. I'm lifeboat 14. I would be going out. And he's very, very clear on what his purpose in life is to do. In fact, he got on his boat and he traveled all over the place telling people about the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're going to kind of dig in today. If you got your Bibles with, with you, what we're going to do is we want to look at, um, at Romans chapter 15. Today. It's hard to believe we've only got two weeks left. We've got this week and next week is the last week. And then we're going to wrap up the book of Romans. So that's what I need you to do. Turn Romans chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 14 through 32. We're actually going to just read the, uh, to 22 and then obviously 10. We're going to kind of start to unpack this whole process. But if you're at home and you're online, please make sure that you take uh, your Bibles out. Go get them. Put your app, whatever. Romans 15 verse 14 through 32. If you're watching it later, you can pause it. It's great. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay? Because Paul's answer was let's go. And you can tell he knew that's what his purpose was. But then you can also tell that it remained focused on it. So that's where we're at today. Why don't you stand with me today as we read God's word? Stand with me if you were able. Here we go. 
We're going to be Romans chapter 15, starting with verse 14. This is what it says. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. Just pause for a second. As you've been going through this series and you've been listening to this, Paul's preached boldly, right? And I don't know about you, but there are times when I've listened to Paul preach and I'm like, go get him, Paul. Obviously, they're blowing it, right? Obviously, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Obviously, he's giving it to them because they're messing up, right? But here he's like, no, no, no. Actually, I'm convinced that you guys are full of goodness. You've got all the knowledge you need. You're competent. You can go do this. You're poised. I just preach this boldly to you because I want to make sure that you remember. Can I tell you, that's what a lot of preaching is. A lot of preaching, you don't go, oh, I've never heard that before. A lot of preaching comes down to a reminder of what we need to be doing and how we need to be living this faith out. So he continues, okay? He, he gave me this priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So, that, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel um, where Christ was not known so, though, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's be seated. So as we look at this and we start this out, our first bit is this. We need to understand that Paul knows what his purpose. Paul's purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those who did not know. He said just as much. Paul's purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those who did not know. I will have to warn you this morning. I'm going to pause. I have to warn you this morning, okay? How many people remember the show Sesame Street? You know how those episodes were usually sponsored by a letter. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter Q, right? Can I tell you, I got to tell you this. This morning, this morning's message was brought to you by the letter P. You're going to see P show up everywhere. I apologize that P is everywhere, but it absolutely thrust itself in the middle of everything and it just happened. So when you see the P's, hopefully it's just a reminder to help you know that Paul's purpose was to proclaim. There's already three P's in this thing. Paul's purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those who did not know. He saw himself as a lifeboat. 14. That's how he identified. I'm going to go out there and get the lost. I'm not going to go preach. I'm not going back and preaching just to the people that already know. I'm not telling those that already know. I'm telling those who do not know. That's what my purpose is. Now he is talking, obviously he's writing this to, to the church in Rome who know. You're like, wait, that's counterproductive, isn't it? No, actually what he's doing is he's trying to now spread the ability to proclaim by enabling and reminding this church of what they're thinking. Because Rome is perfectly positioned. The peas are going to flow today, I can just tell you. It was perfectly positioned to proclaim the gospel to the people that were all around him. 
It was it. This is the center of civilization. If we can get a church established in Rome, if the word can be flowing out, if the gospel can flow out of Rome, boy, it can reach everywhere. So by establishing this and preaching as boldly as he did to them, by the way, I, I, I dare somebody to count how many peas I throw out today. All right? All right. So that's what it is. He was there. And he says, I have, and I love it because he goes in and he says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel. He's not like, he's like, yeah, I hope I did a good job. He's like, no, I did. I totally, fully proclaimed the gospel. I did it from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And if you look at this, this right here is a map of, of some of his journeys. He's in right now, he's in the third journey of his missionary journeys. He's writing this book from Corinth, which is up in here. He's getting ready to go. He wants to go over here to where Rome is. And, um, and so you can see, you can look, here's, here's Jerusalem down here. He has been up and over. He's been through Antioch. He's been all the way up through here, Thessalonica. He's been all the way through Athens and, and Corinth. And he's, he's going to eventually make his way over here. So he's in Corinth right now. He's making his way. He's been all over the place. What's crazy, can I tell you, it's just side, random side note for me. This week is my parents were on in Rome uh, on a trip, on a, and they went through the Mediterranean on a cruise ship, and they did all these stops. And I was sitting at my desk looking at this thing going, oh, my parents are right here. My parents are right here. My parents, they've been floating through there. I'm just jealous. Anyways. Anyways, all that to say, boom, there we go. So there they are, and he's made his dream. He could say, I've proclaimed the gospel. I have completely, thoroughly, utterly made sure that I've fully proclaimed the gospel. I've been everywhere doing it because he understood that that's what his purpose was. But he, not only was it his purpose to proclaim the gospel, I love he had a little nuance that he adds to this because Paul proclaimed, his pers- he proclaimed the gospel from his personal experience. You see, when he was talking to the church, it wasn't, he, he's like, as, as I proclaim it, I'm not proclaiming it. And what I do is I go around, I'm not proclaiming what somebody else experienced. I'm not going back to the book of Exodus. I'm not going back to, to what Moses experienced. I'm not going back to Noah. I'm not going back to, to, to Jeremiah. I'm not going back to any of those. He says, I'm, I'm proclaiming from personal experience what I've, what I've experienced. If you look here in verse 18 there, in Romans 18, in the beginning, it says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, understand this very clearly. Paul is not saying, I'm just going to talk about Paul. People need to know Paul. Because Paul knew that nobody needed to know about Paul. But he understood very clearly that for me and my life, it's all about Christ. And all I'm going to tell you, all I'm going to do, I will not I'll speak of anything else except for what? What Christ has accomplished through me. I'm going to speak from personal experience. Let me tell you what I have seen. Let me sh- tell you what I have witnessed firsthand. Not 500, 600,000 years ago. No, here, today, currently, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Let me tell you what Christ is doing. Because there's nothing better than an eye hand witness, Right? There's nothing better than firsthand account of what took place that t- during that time. And he's going to tell you, this is what I've seen. Now, stories I've heard of other people, let me tell you what I've seen, what I've seen, what Christ has done through me. Again, this is not Paul propping himself up. This is Paul sitting there going, let me tell you how great God is. He can even work through a knucklehead like me. Let me tell you what he has done. Can I tell you right now, guys, our purpose, like Paul's, is to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those who do not know. That's our job too. It's not just 
Pastor Kevin's job or, or Pastor Brent's job or Pastor anybody. It's not anybody. It's not just our job to get up here and proclaim the gospel. It is your job to proclaim the gospel. It is your job to go to the people that don't know because you know what? I don't know everybody you know. Pastor Kevin doesn't know everybody you know, but you know the people you know. Could it be that perhaps God is sending you into those people's lives, that God is surrounding you with people intentionally so that as you live out the gospel, but not only live out the gospel, as you proclaim the gospel, because you still got to use words, that now we're reaching people who don't know. That as you sail this Monday, tomorrow, into your workplace, your lifeboat 14 going into your, your place. As you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to the grocery store, everywhere you go, as you're hanging out at Starbucks, reading that book, <coughs> perhaps he has sent you out there as a lifeboat to look, to be ready to proclaim the gospel. God says that we always need to be ready to be willing to give a reason for the hope that we have. This is our story. That's our story, by the way. Our story is, let me tell you about the hope I have. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Let me give you a personal, I, personal thing about what I've seen God do. I love this because we are all called to do this. We're all called to proclaim the gospel. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. That's us. You are called. You are chosen. You are chosen to proclaim the praises of the one who took you from darkness to light. Because there's a world living in darkness that's desperately looking for light. There's fake light that's out there. There's all sorts of stuff that is leading people astray. People are desperate out there. You've moved from darkness to light. There are others in darkness. Are you willing to go to those in darkness with the good news? That's what our job is. It's to proclaim that gospel. It's what we're supposed to be all about. And not only proclaim it, but we need to proclaim the gospel using our personal experience. Again, this isn't to prop you up. Oh, let me tell you how great I am. Because we all know that ain't it, right? If my story is all about my story, my story is a train wreck and a tragedy. But Jesus comes in the picture and I talk about Jesus. He's the hero. He's the power. He's the one that makes things happen. He's the one that transforms lives, period. So it's our job to do this, and we should proclaim it from personal experience. The question is, is so what does is, what is Christ accomplish through you? I would love to just like, let's pause it, hit pause at home, and go, all right, so what does Christ proclaim through you? Let's just turn and share with your neighbor what does Christ, Christ, Christ proclaim, accomplish through you? What, could you? what personal proclamations could you make today about how the gospel has taken hold and, and changed your life forever? Would you be able to say anything? Do you have any personal proclamations? If you don't, why? If you do, are you sharing those stories? Are you telling them? It's super important that we share with our kids what God's done, the gospel at work in our lives. It's important that we share with our family. It's important that we share with our small group, right? 
It's important to be in a small group, by the way, so that you can share with your small group. But it's important that you share with your small group. It's also important, though, to remember our purpose, which is to go to people who don't know. If all the only people you ever share in your short story with, the only people you're proclaiming the gospel, what he's done in your life, if that's the only people you talk, are people within the church, we're missing it. We got to take it out there. We got to go out there with it. That is what we're doing. We are all about proclaiming, and that's what Paul knew his job was. It's our job as well. So let's keep going, okay? We're going to go to verse 23. Pick up in verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, by the way, if you notice, look at your Bibles, you're looking, as I know you're reading your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, you look at what is that, that labeled, this section labeled? In, in my Bible, it's labeled uh, Paul's plan to visit Rome. Keep that in mind as we do this, okay? But now, now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Ooh, Spain. Ooh, Paul's going to go to Spain. Yeah, I plan to do so on my way to Spain. Uh, my way to Spain. I, I hope to see you while passing through and, uh, and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed our company, your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia uh, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. There were, they, excuse me, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in with have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on my way. I know that when I come to you, I will come to you in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Now, if you read that section with me, you notice what was it titled? It was titled Paul's plan to visit Rome. And in this section here, Paul clearly lays out his plans. This is what I'm going to do. Okay? I'm going to head to Spain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there, but before I do that, first I got to run down to Jerusalem because I got this offering that people have given for the poor down in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to take that down there, and then uh, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to visit you guys in Rome, and then I'm going to head to Spain, which would be amazing, right? And he asked the church, even, I want you to pray for me as I do this. I want you to join with me and pray for me. And Paul lays out these plans, and they're good plans, right? These are plans that would further the kingdom, that's going to spread the gospel. These are good, awesome plans, right? Yes. They're good plans. You know what's interesting? None of them happen. None of his plans happen. We don't read a book about how Paul went to Spain, do we? Why? He never got to Spain. He ends up going back down to Jerusalem, in fact, to do this, and uh, he, he gets jumped. <laughs> he gets beaten. Here's the thing. Paul had these great plans. And the plans changed. Paul's plans changed. He was supposed to head to Spain, never got to Spain. He says, I'll visit you on the way. Never was able to visit them. Oh, he did go to Rome, by the way. He got an all-expense, fully paid trip to Rome, courtesy of the Roman government. 
Pray to keep me safe. He really wasn't kept safe, per se. He was alive. He says, I, I know that I will come to you with joy and be refreshed. Can I tell you? He actually came to them in chains. He came to them after being shipwrecked. And after surviving shipwrecked, was able to then be bitten by a poisonous viper. He was then beaten. He was imprisoned. And eventually Paul's journey is going to end with him being beheaded in Rome. Paul had these amazing plans. I'm going to enjoy your company. We're going to hang out there. And then I'm going to go to Spain. It's going to be great. We're going to take the gospel into the wild, wild west, which is now at that point Spain, and doing this. This is going to be great. And it didn't happen. He had these great plans, and the plans changed. So my question, what would you do if you were Paul? What would you do if you had these great plans that were going to glorify God? It was going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, it didn't happen. Plans fell through. Plans got changed. Your plans did not happen. Your plans failed and other stuff started happening. What would you do? Well, let me make it more personal, more present day. What, what do you tend to do? Okay, what do we tend to do when God's plans are different than our plans? What do we tend to do when we have plans that are laid out, good plans, godly plans, bathed in prayer plans that are like, this is going to be awesome, this is glorify God, but then it changes. What do we tend to do? Real quickly, real briefly here, what do we tend to do? Usually it begins with a question, right? Usually the first thing we do is we question God. What are you doing? Have you ever prayed that? Probably the better question is, how many times have you prayed that? You see something unfolding in front of you. You have this plan. This is how this is supposed to go. This is the plan for my family. This is the plan for my church. This is the plan for my finances. This is the plan for my marriage. This is the plan for my life. This is the plan for my ministry. This is the plan for my... And then all of a sudden, the plans don't work. The plans don't happen. And obviously, God's got a different plan than your plan is. How do you do? Usually, it starts with, what are you doing, God? What's going on? Why is this happening to me? Why is this not... Why are my plans... And usually we quite, we don't usually start with, well, let me take a look at my plans. Maybe my plans weren't right on. Maybe my plans were off. And sometimes it's not that your plans are bad. Sometimes it's not that our plans aren't good. Sometimes it's just, frankly, they're not his plan. But we usually start by questioning his plan, which sometimes leads to anger then, right? Then we start getting angry. Well, how could you do this? Like, this was the plan. This is what's supposed to happen in my family. This is what's supposed to happen in my job. This is what's supposed to happen. I was supposed to do it, and it was going to further your kingdom, and you were going to be glorified, and maybe a little bit. But you start getting angry. And then you move to that, going, well, God, if, I can't, if you're not going to do this, well, I don't know, maybe I can't trust you anymore then. Maybe if, the, if this happens, maybe I, I, don't, maybe, I don't know, maybe I can't depend on you. Maybe that shouldn't be, and we start becoming disillusioned with what's going on. And then, for some, it leads then to ultimately abandonment, and we'll find God. If you're not going to make sure my plans aren't accomplished, guess what? I'm out of here. That's it. I'm gone. Can I tell you, I have sat with some brilliant, smart Christians who know Scripture, who have story, who have history, generational history sometimes, of faithfulness of God's work in their life. And I say, hey, how are things going in church? And they go, oh, we don't, we don't go anymore. Oh, what's going on? You guys in between? You looking for? No, no. Uh, see, my relationship with my brother, he just went sideways. And, and, and then my brother died. And, and I'm like, I'm just, I'm mad at God. I'm like, wait, you're mad, you're mad at God? Why? Because plans changed. 
Because that's not what's supposed to happen with my brother. That wasn't supposed to happen with our relationship. That was, he wasn't supposed to die. He was only 32 years old. How could that happen? He had a wife and he's got kids. How could that go on? I was angry at God, which led to do Can I tell you? And it's not always that extreme. Sometimes it's as simple as Joe across the aisle. He looked at me funny. You see, Joe and I, he, he, was, he said this about me. I got hurt. I was at church and it, something happened and I got hurt. And then I get, how God, how could you let that happen? How could this, I'm not supposed to get hurt at church? Hey, listen, as long as, like I've said before, as long as there are broken people that gather together, we're going to hurt each other at times. Oh, but we're also supposed to be a grace-filled church, a redemptive church, a family that sticks together. We don't always do that. What happens when plans don't change? We tend to do that. Do you find yourself there? Maybe you're there right now. Is that kind of what's going on? Can I tell you the truth, realistically? Life never goes as you planned, right? Life never goes as planned. I think about this. I love this. this phrase, I, can't even, I don't remember what movie it's from, but there's this, this, this phrase in this movie that said, I love it when a plan comes together. And that, I so say that all the time. I'm always like, ah, I love it when a plan comes together. You know why I say that? Because the plans rarely come together. Okay, I golf. I love to golf. Can I tell you, when I step on that tee box on a par three, and it's 174 yards, and it's slightly downhill, I sit up there, and I go to dress that ball with a plan. My plan is I'm going to hit it 174 yards. I'm going to hit it. It's going to dribble up, and it's going to go in that hole. It's not going to go to the right. It's not going to go to the left. I know there's a sand trap. It ain't going there. There's water on the left. It's not going there. My plan is there. Can I tell you, most of the time, my plan doesn't succeed. So when the few times when the plan actually plays out and it goes where I've intended to do, I'm always like, hey, look at that. I did what I intended it to do. The purpose, the plan went, worked. Why am I so surprised? Because it doesn't happen most of the time. And can I tell you, in everybody's life, plans are going to be changed. Your plans are not always going to align up, even if they're good plans, with what God's plan is. It's just going to happen. In fact, you talk to the most established, the most amazing Christians that you respect the most. You go talk to Mother Teresa. You go talk to Billy Graham. You talk to any of those kind of people. And you'd say, how is it that your plan always worked? And they would go, it never worked. Me preaching here today was not the plan. Not my plan. My plan was go to college, become an artist, work for a surf magazine, marry a hot girl, and surf a lot. That was my plan. And I'm, I'm, I was blessed in the fact I got to do that for a little bit. I actually, I actually did get a job at a design firm. I got to design, help design. I wasn't like the main, but I was the graphic designer on Long Border Magazine, Surf Magazine. Woohoo! Got to surf a lot. Actually, got to surf a ton. Married the most beautiful girl in the world. And um, so, yeah, awesome. But in the middle of those short three years of getting to do that, God was like, <laughs> no, I got a different plan. Plans change. The question is, what are you going to do with that? And Paul, I think, kind of gives us this little principle here in verse 32 to help us understand how we can deal with the plans issue. And it comes in verse 32. It says, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Everything hinges upon that little phrase. Paul deferred his will to God's will. He understood, these are my plans. This is what I got. But ultimately, it's your will, not my will, which means he deferred his plans. It's not just his will is, we will is, that's our plans. He deferred his plans to God's plan. This is what my plan, this is what I've got to do. This is what I'm setting out to do. But ultimately, I want your plan to happen. 
I want your plan, not my plan. So Lord, help me to adapt to your plan when my plan does not happen and help me to do so graciously. See, this isn't new. This is not just a little 32 couple words here. If you go back to Romans 12, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is he saying here? You know what I want you to do? Offer yourselves to Christ. Guess what's a part of yourself? Your plan. Offer your plan to Christ. That's what we have to do. And day by day, Paul trusted God's plan would prevail. That's what he did. Day by day, he trusted God's plan. Your plan, plan's, plan's going to, these are my plans, what I'm going to do. But you know what, by God's, if it's God's will, great. But he also understood that if it didn't happen, he was going to find opportunities to proclaim the gospel wherever he went. Okay? So, I know we're getting towards the end. I'm only on point number two. Good grief. All right, when plans didn't go as planned, Paul, he never lose sight nor abandon his purpose. This is huge, okay? When plans didn't go as planned, he never lost sight of nor abandoned his purpose. Plans changed, his purpose never changed. Paul held loosely to his plans and held firmly to his purpose. The plans are the how. The purpose is the what and the why and everything else underneath it. His purpose never changed, but how it was going to unfold he held loosely to. And often what we do, we hold tightly to our plans. And then when plans don't go well, we get distracted from our purpose. Right? We get all upset and uptight and huffy and blah, 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 whatever. Go post it on Facebook because our plan didn't happen and we get all upset. And then all of a sudden, because the plan didn't go as planned, now we get distracted from our purpose. Can I tell you guys, there have been moments here at church, not only this church, pretty much every church I've been at, there have been moments at church when I go, oh, we're getting distracted. Our job here is to proclaim the gospel and we're dealing with what? This? Lighting? Volume? What? We're dealing with what song we're dealing with? And I, now I understand there are some songs we shouldn't sing, obviously. However, man, it's so easy for us to get distracted from our purpose. And Satan's like, yes, fight about those peripheral issues, right? Like, Paul, like uh, Pastor Kevin's talking about, central issues, these are, these are the core. These are the non-negotiables, right? Those, yeah, we got, we got to hang on to those. But when it comes to the other stuff, man, it's amazing how much this stuff on the peripheral distracts us from our purpose. And Satan's loving it. And God's like, no. This is not what's going on. Can I tell you, though, just make sure I understand this. Making plans is good. It is biblical. It is godly. Okay? This is good stuff. Making plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans. Okay? I'm not saying don't have a plan. Just go out and live from the hip. <coughs> That's a recipe for failure. In fact, <coughs> Winston Churchill said, he who fails to plan is planning to fail. How many people have ever used that quote? Failing to plan, planning to fail. I started out youth ministry. I really didn't have a plan. <laughs> just had fun. Uh, and it was rough. But can I tell you, having a plan, it's important. That's good. Just, it's just wisdom. It's wise, right? Wisdom in that. But also, if you look, Jesus even says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? What is he saying there? Which one, when you start doing something, you make a plan, right? Even Jesus is like, planning is good. There is nothing wrong with the plan in the middle of all these things. There's nothing wrong for us to do this. But the problem is, is when plans don't go as planned, we can't lose sight of our purpose. Okay? 
when plans don't go as planned, we can never lose sight of our purpose. All right? Which means we need to hold loosely to our plans and hold tightly to his purpose. We, make, we gotta make sure that we do this. I know that over the last few years, plans have changed, haven't they, at our church? COVID, politics, all sorts of lovely things that have entered into our world and plans have changed. And boy, do we get uptight, right? We get uptight when people start messing with our plans. Can I tell you? While plans changed, while we went from meeting in here to meeting out there, when we went from meeting out there to meeting online, when we implemented youth groups and all sorts of stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, on Vimeo, we started changing, getting creative how we did things. We had to change the plans, didn't we? Can I tell you from a firsthand view, from behind the scenes view, can I tell you what never changed? The purpose of all of Knowles never changed. We never wavered from that. Our plans changed. How we went about doing it changed. But our purpose never changed and it never will. And if it ever does, I'm out of here. Because our purpose is what we need to hold on to. We need to make sure that we hold loosely to our plans and hold tightly to the purpose. Last one, I'm going to do this one quick. To fulfill our purpose of proclamation, we need partnership. Some more peace. Got to love it. Partnership, partnership, partnership is absolutely huge, okay? Paul talks to the church, and in this passage he's talking about, I want you to join me. I want you to share in. I want you to share with. I, I want you to come and assist me on my, on my journey and what I'm doing. And Paul understand, understood the need for partnership and collaboration. It's important for us to be able to work together, Right? Super important for us to be able to work together. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you tell there's over 25 different people that Paul partners with over that time, okay? Not including churches in general. He had all these different 25 plus people that are named, okay? People that partnered with Paul. <laughs> I'm telling you, the peas are killing me, okay? People, they, they partnered through their time, through their talents, through their treasure and their prayers. Time, people like Barnabas who spent their time years traveling with him, going with him, sp spreading the gospel everywhere. Timothy, who was an amazing leader, great leadership qualities. He sent him out. He would constantly put him and go, hey, there's issues over here. Can you go take care of that? Hey, I need you to lead this. I need you to establish that. He was constantly using his talents to do that. Treasures, we have people like Lydia who discovered this purple dye and she made, all of a sudden she made, she's making hand over fist money, did not know what to do with it. Paul comes into town, proclaims the gospel and she, he, he's, she's like, I don't know. And he, she hears the gospel. She goes, that's what I'm going to do with my money. And she finances his trips and says, says nothing's got going on. You've got prayers. You have churches that he sees. Like he's talking about to the church in Rome. I want you to join me in prayer. So he was, he was partnered with, with all these things. And he understood that he needed, that church needed to be this partnership. Can I tell you guys, for all of Knowles to fulfill our purpose, we need to be, we need, we need partnership as well. All right? We need partnership, and we can partner in the exact same ways. Time, talent, treasure, and prayer. Time, talent, treasure, and prayer. You can partner in the exact same ways. How are you, are you spending time? Can I tell you guys, like, like what? Last weekend, we had, I don't know how many hundreds of kids that came in here for our trunk or treat thing, and some of you guys took the time out on a Saturday. It was a beautiful Saturday. You took your time to decorate your trunk, to hand out candy, to bring people onto our campus so that we could have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them. Thank you. That's just the beginning. We also have talents. We have so many talents that we have in this room. This is a talented group of people. Can I tell you guys? 
You got some amazing talents. And it's fun watching you use your talents in different ways. We got our worship team, the people that are up here, that are leading. Can you remember, as we look at Pastor Cedric over here, you know what? He started out as a kid in youth group here at our church. And he fostered those talents that God gave him. And over time, he developed those. Goes off to college, comes back, and now he's using his talents for God. But we have talents all over the place. Hospitality, people that cook, people that, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on. Talent, treasure, can I tell you, this is one of the most generous churches that I've ever been a part of. Even as, at, at, at times when numbers were down, the tithe has been strong. And the, not only the tithe, the regular 10%, but the above and beyond giving for like faith forward, for missions, for kids going to NYC. Can I tell you guys have been amazing in that and also in prayer. I know there's a group that meets in room 714 over there every morning before this. This church service has been prayed for. You have been prayed for today. We need partnership to go on because partnership changes church. It goes from that place where you come and sit down and you're like, oh, look what they've all done and what I get to partake of. Versus when you're a part of it behind the scenes, like the Padillas have become, by the way. She's hiding behind this. But, but I know Deanna, it's like they've gone from, they just joined our church and she's up here playing. Mr. Padilla's been cooking tacos all over the place for people. I tell you, it changes this place when you participate, when there's partnership that goes on. And I will just challenge you with this and ask you this final question is this, how are you partnering with all of Knowles in our purpose to proclaim the gospel? How are you partnering? If you're out there and partnering, and I look around the room and I can actually tell some of the places I know exactly where you're partnering with us. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. We have so many people partnering. But can I tell you, I can also look around and go, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where you're serving. That's partially my ignorance because I just don't know everything. But it does make me ask, if you are, thank you, by the way, if you're not, then I'm going to quote Paul here in his words and, and say this. Can I tell you this? I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to prayerfully consider how and where you can join us in our struggle. Okay, some of that I inserted in there. Sorry, it's not verbatim, but you get the point, right? Paul was asking them, join me. Can I tell you? I want you to, to join us. Join us with your time. Join us with your talents, your treasures, whatever it is. Can I tell you, we have a 301 class that meets next Saturday from 9 to, 1, 9 to noon. You know what the whole point of that is? It's to discover what you're created to do and then give you a place to use that in the body of Christ. We'll help you. We're not just making you say, all right, go find a spot and do it. And that's hard. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. But I can tell you, we want to help you walk through this because it's important that we proclaim the gospel of Christ. Let me close us in a word of prayer today. And just as we pray, I just would say, can, can you make sure that you remember, first of all, that, that it, it, it's your job. It's our awesome responsibility and privilege to be able to proclaim the gospel where it's not known. We need to be ready to proclaim it and proclaim it from our personal experiences. And as plans change, as plans change, can I tell you guys, we need to be able to roll with it better. We have to hold so loosely to our own personal plan. We need to make plans, by the way. It's important. But we need to hold so loosely to that plan that when God shifts gears and changes gears that we can quickly go with him with the fullness of Christ. And then we need to partner. And one of the ways we partner is through uh, talking about ties is, is through our benevolence fund that we're taking today. We've got a box here in the back. I think that's Joe. Is that you, Joe? He's in the shadows. Joe's lurking in the shadows, ready to take your money. <laughs> for our benevolence fund. Not for us. It's not going to go towards anything here. It's just 
only be given to, we're going to give it all away. So if you can do that, do that. But if you're not partnering anywhere, pray. How can you partner? Man, change church forever. For you, when you partner. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here like this as a family, as a community. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget what our purpose is here, all of our purpose and our purpose here at all. May it never, ever, ever, ever change. But give us a boldness and a confidence to be able to share with whomever you bring across our path. Lord, help us to hold loosely to our own plans and, and may we hold tightly to our purpose in the midst of it all. And Lord, may we find our places that we can partnership with this church, God. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for coming today. We hope you have an amazing week. Go and be Lifeboat 14. Proclaim the gospel everywhere you go. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week.